0: Hello, and welcome to The RevOps Show. Today, we're going a bit off the rails with a rant from Doug on bringing a value mindset to RevOps. There's a lot that Doug unpacks in this episode that you don't want to miss. Grab a snack or something, and let's get started.
1: Wow, my head looks big there. (laughs) Doug! Jess, are you ready to RevOps? I'm always ready to RevOps. I think that's gonna be our opening uh, that's gonna be our phrase <laughs> now. That's our catchphrase. Rev- Lots going on with the RevOps show. Some some interesting things in, in in development here. Yeah. Some some nice surprises. So I think we need a we need a, a catchphrase. Ready? Here's here it is. Are you ready to revops?
2: It's great.
1: Right. If you're not watching on video, you're missing the impact.
2: Exactly. Visit the they show they, notes, watch they really video. are.
1: Are you ready to rev up? Wow. We want you to rev up.
2: <laughs> Starting off great. Going to be totally on the rails.
1: It's going to be a great conversation. Hold on a second. Just so that you say that. Like, are, are we ever on the rails? No, very rarely.
2: We don't have any. I don't know. We are innovating. We are innovators, Jess. Is that what we are?
1: Rails, rails. Where we're we, going, we don't need rails. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> okay, Doc. <laughs> I would look good as Doc Brown. I, I should get a Doc Brown wig or something. I think I'd look good as Doc Brown.
2: You should. You should. That uh-huh. that that uh, that would make me Marty, I guess.
1: I'm not sensing that you're a lot of conviction in that. Yeah, you look good with a Dr.
2: I don't head. know that. I don't know that most people would look good with a Doc Brown wig. Just
1: does does Doc Brown look good with a Doc Brown wig?
2: Doc Brown looks like Doc Brown. That's what he looks like.
1: Do you think people think we plan this out?
2: No, not at all. Just
1: I because don't. Anyone's think... wondering. We 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 do not. We do not plan the opening of the show. We just kind that.
2: We do not talk and say we're going to talk about Back to the Future today.
1: We <laughs> probably should. Don't you think we should like? I think no. we should have a meeting to plan the meeting for the RevUp show.
2: You would love that. You would. Oh, I would. It'd be awesome. You'd be all about that.
1: It would be awesome. Clearly, it would be awesome. <sighs> so, what's new, Jess? What's going on in 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 the world of uh, Lyft's chief of staff?
2: It's crazy. A lot of things going on.
1: People. People, people everywhere. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh, we can't.
2: It's an accurate statement. I can't
1: turn around without tripping over a person anymore. Yep. Yep. Where are we going to put them all? I don't know.
2: We're going to need a larger office, clearly.
1: We're going to have to upgrade our virtual office. We are. We are. See, Dakota's got something to say about that. She does. Remember remember our virtual office?
2: I do. So Coco. Do you miss that? Um, I do and I don't. I do and I don't. That's
1: <laughs> so what I like about you, Jess is you always come down, you got a very clear, very firm. Obviously.
2: Take there are certain you're... things I like I miss about it and there are certain things I do not. Um I do not miss Doug randomly joining <laughs> in an office when I'm talking to somebody else. I thought that's I what don't you... miss that.
1: I thought you I thought that's what you look forward to. I thought that's what you would most miss. Ob-
2: obviously. What what was intriguing about it is people would hear the click and they would just, like, stop mid-sentence. It was pretty – actually, that part was entertaining. Like, how quickly people would be able to stop when they hear the click of someone randomly joining an office uninvited.
1: So you said someone. Was there ever – did anyone other than me ever join? Uninvited?
2: Um, Yeah, others did. Okay.
1: okay. Yeah,
2: you weren't the only one.
1: Well, I was just – I mean, the whole point of it was just – to simulate a real office experience, right? Right.
2: So that's like you like knocking on the door and popping your head in. Is that what that? Well,
1: hold on a second. The door wasn't closed. I know you could close the door in Zococo. And so you'd have to knock. So if the door is open, you like walking by the office and seeing you talking with somebody, and yeah, being that I care so much about <laughs> the people that that were working with us, I would pop in to say,
2: say hi- say hey,
1: what's going on? Howdy. Howdy, partner.
2: I, I miss the spaceship, though. That's what I miss. That's the office that I miss. We had a spaceship. Yeah, people
1: didn't like the spaceship. Remember no, they we didn't. Did that we had it
2: for like about it. a week, and everybody thought it was... I enjoyed it.
1: I think one person complained because they were by the engine. Or the... Booze or something. Didn't... didn't am I missing?
2: People... Com- people... So this was the fascinating thing about Sokoko. People complained about the office that they got in the Sokoko window... That wasn't a real office, but it did cause issues about office location and who got the corner. And I was like, it's not, it's not a real window, guys. It's not a real remember, window.
1: Remember when I told you I was not going to take a corner office and you were like, oh my God, Doug, you're just. And Yeah,
2: I remember. And then it so was. Why does thing.
1: so-and-so have a corner? I know what you miss most about the virtual. The nap office. room. The nap room. Yeah, I do. I miss the nap room. We should bring back the nap room. We should,
2: I thought you, you just, I thought you did what? sometimes.
1: <laughs> you thought I brought, I thought, thought I nap thought, or yes. Or brought back the nap room. Yes. All of the above.
2: Cause if you're yeah, napping, doesn't that make that room, the nap room?
1: Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting question. Maybe we should make that a future topic for the RevOps. We should.
2: I think that would be a great topic for us to talk about
1: for an hour. That's some nice USA swag there, Jess. I just want to say I like that.
2: Yeah, I inherited that, that from my husband. It is new. It is new. As you know, I'm cooler all the time. He is not. So he orders swag in my size.
1: Ah, wow. <laughs> yeah. If that's not caring, I don't know what is. If that's not exactly. love, I don't know
2: what is. Exactly.
1: Actually, that would be a great... I'm going to submit that to um, Hallmark. <laughs> love is ordering, ordering swag, swag in your size <laughs> yep that would be, that would be a good i think i think i'd get i think i think i'd get that in one place
2: i think i what think so pay, what
1: would you pay for that for that tagging?
2: 99 cents
1: 99 cents that
2: would go in their dollar card section
1: no but so you would sell a whole bunch of cards for 99 oh so i see oh, what would you oh, like so what, if would you were Hallmark, what would you pay me to license that phrase $50. <laughs> $50. Wow. <laughs> Clearly, I'm in the wrong business. Clearly. What you have to do is you have to say $50.
2: Oh, there we go. Yeah. That, yeah.
1: See All right, Jess, what are we to... talking about?
2: We are talking about uh, value mindset today.
1: Value mindset.
2: Value mindset. Taking a value mindset in RevOps. So this was your topic. So why don't you? So I'm up.
1: going to. So so really, we could title this "Bringing a Value Mindset to RevOps." Colon, a rant.
2: Great, great. I now I am now mentally and emotionally prepared for for the podcast today. The rant part was not shared with me ahead of time.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it was kind of inferred, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was a little bit. That's fair.
1: I mean, so I guess I need to ask the question, not just are you ready to RevOps, but have you had enough coffee for this conversation?
2: I have. Okay. i had. I have. I've made sure to caffeine up ahead of this.
1: Because I've had a little extra coffee this oh, Great. Morning. So I am just a toast. I'm ready to go. All right. Um. So I'm worried about RevOps. Why are you worried about RevOps? Because I think RevOps is increasingly, I, I think the... The nature of the RevOps role is increasingly falling into the very problem and cause of problem that RevOps, the discipline, is designed to solve.
2: Okay, Tell me what you mean by that.
1: So what is the purpose of RevOps? What's the underlying why of RevOps? The underlying why of RevOps is better control of friction. Yeah. Is friction control. Reduce friction where it's low value, manage friction where it's of value. Right. Um, it is the counterbalance to the traditional go-to-market focus of do more. The traditional mm-hmm. focus of generating flywheel effect. And and one of the difficulties, you know, th- this gets to an underlying reason why I think that you know the idea of you know that I don't go to the school of you. Sh- RevOps should be your first hire. You know if if you think flywheel, and we'll put the flywheel, um, we'll put the flywheel image in, in in the show notes. But if you if you think about the flywheel and the flywheel effect, yep. Um, attract, engage, delight. Attract, yep. engage, delight. Right. And so on on the left side, we're we're adding force to the flywheel. How do you add force to the flywheel? You do more. What is the what is the what is the legacy? playbook and i would say even today the dominant playbook of sales marketing and success do more do it harder do it yes right so we're adding tactics we're doing and again think about all the things that your company is doing all the things that your company is trying to manage all of the go-to-market motions i mean hell all you have to look at is what's been what's now coming under these go-to-market motions i think uh, you know go-to-market partners has some interesting things but man they they'd love to create categories um <laughs> I I think the last thing I saw there were like nine quote unquote go to market motions. There's product led growth, community led Uh. growth, event led growth, sales led growth, people led growth, llama led growth. (laughs) Right. It, I'm still trying to figure out how many leads you can have at one time. Like who's, who's following, I guess is my, uh, sorry, I'm being a little bit sarcastic there and maybe a little bit not sarcastic, but again, it's do more, do more, do more. Right the leverage of, of the flywheel is reduced friction on the flywheel. So right. that you get more juice for the squeeze on, on the force now to go back to a flywheel effect. Um, and, and, and by the way, if you think about a real flywheel, one of the first people to bring this analogy to bear was Jim Collins. Everyone credits Jeff Bezos talking about it. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people, especially recently credit Jeff Bezos with talking about flywheel effects, but it was actually coined before, um, Bezos by Jim Collins in the book good to great it was the last chapter of good to great and and the title of the chapter was the doom it was the doom loop and flywheel effect or, or something like that and the point of that is that to get a flywheel going mm-hmm. you know so, so by the way just so everyone knows a flywheel is more than just a circular reinforcing motion a flywheel is as it gets to a point of critical mass of, of velocity it it maintains that velocity or you can accelerate the velocity with less and less force. So if you think about, if you think about how like priming, how a pump works, right? So if I'm pumping water, you've got to prime the pump. You've got to be pulling, 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 pulling. And then once you get to the effect, now you can just slow down and you can maintain it with with a much, right. So that's what a flywheel is. So a flywheel has to have mass and velocity built into it so that it transfers energy efficiently and to do that it's got to get to a level of velocity and there has to be a mass and a weight to it so that it can sustain that that effort right so you've got to get a certain level of force before yep. the reduction of friction has any real impact so i look at what people are talking about in revops all the you know, and some of this is, is, is the problem we've talked about it previously, is that this, the idea of RevOps, I mean, the, the popularization of RevOps mm-hmm. has been very product-driven. It's been, you know, tech applications saying, where do we, oh, revenue operations. The, the number of times I see two things that I think are going to destroy RevOps. Okay. A whole lot of cheerleading. Okay a whole lot of jump on what ne- what's next that's all part of that's all one part cheerleading and the jump on what's next okay and the other is they everything i'm seeing is about you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this, to do this. i'm not seeing anyone talk about what do you stop doing oh
2: yeah it's like to reduce
1: to reduce friction you need to add these four applications yeah um and and so what it's reminded me of mhm we actually let me back up so there, there, there's a there's an old phrase, an old quote. This is from like 1903 or something. I actually looked it up just. I actually did research to prepare for this episode. Um, Peter MacArthur is the person who wrote this. Every successful enterprise requires three. I'm going to change the terminology a little bit here to um, bring it to the modern age. Every successful enterprise requires. Three people, a dreamer, a businessman, and a son of a bitch. A Mm -hmm. dreamer, a business person, and a son of a bitch. Um, Now, I think people have really misunderstood the son of a bitch, but the son of a bitch is – I'm going to bring a nicer word to it. Every business needs three types of people, a dreamer, a business person, and a skeptic. Okay. I don't think you can be – I I don't think you can have a real RevOps mindset
2: Mm -hmm.
1: without – a healthy degree of skepticism. Why is that? Because reducing and controlling friction Mm -hmm. requires a skeptic's viewpoint. No no one does anything with the intent of creating negative friction. Hey, I got a great idea, everybody. We're going to add this. And by doing this, we're going to reduce the amount of time. We're going to invest in our sales and marketing processes, technology and efforts. And by doing this, salespeople will be able to spend less time selling. Right. A few years ago, Gartner research, and this is not Gartner's forward looking proclamation. This is from the research of, of the um, CEB unit that they bought. Mm -hmm. The typical company was spending on average $5,000 more per rep per year on technology. Okay. And the net result was a decrease of 12% on conversion.
0: Hey, we're going
1: to invest more in, right? And If you take a look, what has technology done? By and large, we've talked about this before. It's, it's yep. enabled us to increase volume to to reduce effectiveness and increase volume to make up for the right. Yeah, um, and and so a lot of what what we've been talking about lately on the show and and what we've been doing, you know, it's really brought me back to my days as a financial advisor. Um, and I know we talked about, I think, you know, everyone knows I, I worked for several years at Merrill Lynch. I was a certified financial planner. I was a certified wealth management advisor. Um, I ran my own independent financial planning firm uh, for several years. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you, I learned a bunch of really important lessons mm-hmm. um, as a financial advisor. And like in my first year, year and a half, I learned that I was stupid. Right. And, and the reason that I was stupid, Jess, is because I thought I was smart. Okay. And, and what I learned was when I followed the people that, that, that were quote unquote smart, I got in trouble because the people who are smart Mm -hmm. are always telling you what you need to do. Yeah. But they're not talking about the context of what you need to do. So a piece of news would come out and the natural question that you would ask, what should I do about that? And, and just by asking that question, you've completely influenced the consequences of your answer. You, when you say, what should I do about that? The likelihood that you're going to do something Mm -hmm. increases exponentially. Right. But what I discovered is that the people who do the best at this are not the ones who figure out when to do something. They're the ones who figure out when not to do something. Gotcha. Here's this news. Okay. What has this changed? Nothing. Right. Right. I learned that 9 times out of 10 if i was lucky 9 times out of 10 when the impulse when every impulse in my body said i need to do something
2: right
1: 9 times out of 10 that was the wrong thing to do that i would that the that the right decision was do nothing an interesting study do you know that financial advisors their their investment performance is significantly lower than their clients than the clients that they manage
2: no, I did not
1: know that. Isn't that bizarre? Why is that? There is one real reason. I don't know how true it is still today because of the ability to do electronic trading and all this online stuff. Right. But the reason was, and I learned this myself, like when I was managing my own money,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: I could, I could make a trade instantaneously. Yeah. I didn't have to talk to anybody. Right. No one said, stop and think. I just, hey, had a thought here, enter. Yeah. I had it right here. I had the real-time company. enter. Yep. Right. As opposed to, it wasn't even necessarily that the client calls the advisor and the advisor says, Oh no, you shouldn't do that. Right. It's that the friction that was created that to even have to take the energy to call my advisor to execute something. Right. So, so it had a, it had a buffer effect.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Now, the other thing that was fascinating, and this really gets to the topic of the show and the rant, Being somewhat reductive, there are basically two schools of thought in in the uh, stock investing world. One school of thought is what's called a growth investor. The other school of thought is what's called value investing. Mm -hmm. Um, Warren Buffett is the most famous value investor. By the way, look at what Warren Buffett has done. And it's part of why I I think that, I mean, to to, to a large degree, it's the uh, um, tortoise and the hare. Right. It's a story of the tortoise and the hare. Growth investing is the hare, value investing is the tortoise. Right. So so growth investing is all about story. It's about getting on the next thing. Right. It's about it's about seeing ahead. So so realize when you're investing in in the stock market, the only way you can create an advantage is is if you've identified and seen something that other people haven't seen. Because if everybody knows about it, the term that's used is it's priced in the stock. So so you really are all about predicting. Now, two really important things that, that, that I learned about successful investing that I think applies to any type of, of growth pursuit. Okay, growth investing, what you're counting on is, is you're seeing the trend before everybody else does. Right. So there's almost an element of, is the stock overvalued? Who cares, right? Because there's a momentum to it. So, so it is you you know you're you're taking advantage of your expertise your knowledge etc and and you're trying to jump on the trend before anybody else jumps on the trend right and and what you find is growth investing tends to be far more volatile so much higher big years much lower bad years than value investing value investing requires a A skepticism that borders on cynicism. Now, there is a significant and meaningful difference between skepticism and cynicism. Cynicism is harmful. Skeptical in in proper doses, I believe, is actually very helpful. And as I said earlier, is critical to a RevOps mindset, a RevOps approach. So when a value value investor is looking at companies and, and identifying where are they undervalued, you're basically saying this company is undervalued, Maybe there's something going wrong and, and, and you're seeing, hey, there's this change that's here. You're, you're, you're basically looking for where, where are the misplacements that everyone else is, is missing that are going to unlock value. Yep. If you fall prey to hype and story as a value investor, it is probably the fastest way to go bankrupt. And so the first lesson I learned that matters and, and this changed my entire mindset as, as a financial advisor. And by the way, led to me being able to ha- do the things and enjoy the success that I had. And that was you a know, really interesting investor who, who managed uh, a large um, private fund and mutual fund mm-hmm. shared that the mistake that people make about investing is they think their job is to invest to get wealthy. When in reality, mm-hmm. the reason you invest is to maintain your wealth. You get wealthy doing whatever you do. You maintain your wealth with investments. Right. And the way that that translates is most people make the mistake that they think from as an investment manager or advisor that our job is to manage performance, manage your returns. We want to generate good returns for you. Right. And. And what this person said is, look, if I'm going to try to manage returns, that's all about predicting the future, and no one can predict the future. Because by the sure. way, even if what you predict happens, what will happen happens. The reason that you thought it was going to happen is not going to be the reason. So you, we're we're horrible at predicting the future. The key to the key to success, and by the way, this is why the vast majority of mutual funds underperform index because most of them are trying to quote unquote manage returns. What he shared—the right. secret to successful investing was—was was his job was to manage risk. Okay. His job was to manage the downside, and the way look, the market's going to take care of the returns. My sure. job is to make sure that we're there and we're solidly there when they come. Right. Right. This, the same mindset applies to poker. It applies to blackjack. Right. There, there's there's so many elements that you don't control. It's about managing the risk side. So again, that's what revenue operations is. Revenue operations is about managing risk. It's about managing that turbulent side so that, right? It doesn't take eight things going right for you to do well. Heck, it, it only takes one thing to be really going right. Right. Um, a, a revenue operations mindset is really all about less is more. Now this gets to the next thing. So I was at a due diligence um, event. Due diligence is when you go up, you visit a money manager. Um, they feed you good food they drink you good drinks um, and they interrupt some of those things every now and then with uh, their money managers talking about their approaches and things like that. And, and so I think we were day two, day three morning and Ed Vanderlinden, who was the um, investment lead of Lord Abbott's value fund. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, It makes his presentation and, you know, the morning of day two, day three. So you, And by the way, this is in, um, this is in New York. We're in New York city. Um, so hopefully you can get a picture of, you know, I was not necessarily fully awake at the time that this presentation begins. And Ed gets up and he says, growth investors are jellyfish. I'm like, okay, hold on. This is not what I expect. He goes, jellyfish have no backbone. They can only go. Where the tide takes them mm-hmm. and their destiny is to end up beach, dried out, and dead. Mm, wow. I was like, okay. He said value investing, however. Mm-hmm. And that's where he talked about. It. Now, to be a value investor, you have to be a son of a bitch. When you're a value in- to be a to be a value investor, anytime someone tells you it. Tells you something, your approach has to be, what are they not telling me? What is not true? Right, right. Right? Because you have to get into the real deep. You can't, story doesn't get bought. Okay. Right. And, and, And so if you think about all this hype that's out there and all this stuff that's out there, you know, keep in mind that the average business generates less return than its owners and investors would generate if they just took their money and put it in an index fund. Yeah. And by the way, it generates less return for much greater risk than putting your money in an index fund. Yep. Right. And, and, and so, you know, you might not, you might not go out of business. Like I'm not saying that, gee, if you don't do this, but if you think about what is the role of revenue operations, revenue operations is all about getting more juice for the squeeze. Yep. Right. It's about sustaining. It's about leverage. It's about throughput. And so, you know, a, a couple of interesting things that come from this. As as I manage money more frequently, do you know what I can't do anymore? What? I can't choose stocks. Why is that? Because I know too much about the risk and the downside. And and see, to to, to succeed in stock picking, so if you're buying individual stocks, mm-hmm. to be successful, you have to be right about two things when to buy and when to sell. Right. Now, I learned, actually, I'm pretty good at when to buy. Yeah. I also discovered, you know what, so are most people. Because how many times do we really think about buying something that's down 80%? Right. So most of us buy something with mean, the natural. hey, this is, the story's good all this, so you buy it. Well, the question right. is, when do you sell? Mm-hmm. Well, damn, I, I mean, the stock's up, you know, 10 times. It's up 10x. Right. I mean, now before you buy it you would say oh if the stock's up 5 10x i'm selling it then. i mean there's no question that's far right. beyond it except when it's 10x you're like oh my it's up like this thing is like this one stock is doing better than the rest of my entire portfolio right um you know when it levels off that's when i'm except it doesn't level off then it right. then it's then it's down 60 percent by the way still up 4x yeah so like if you looked at it from the beginning you're, but yeah like, well It's a hard thing to do, right? So Mm -hmm. so there's so much that you don't know. And that's why finding people with a discipline and and actually as, as an advisor, I became someone that actually managed managers, different disciplines. And by the way, whenever someone would talk to me about their investment program, why I should consider them, I always asked one question and they had to give me a great answer for it. And like a no bullshit real answer. And the question was always tell me, how, does a, how do I or my client get hurt with this? Right. And when will this underperform? hmm Right. Because yep. nothing does well all the time. And A, if you couldn't tell me with real answers how I'd get hurt or when, in what environments does it not perform well, then mm-hmm. I knew that you you have no control of risk. Yep. But also, I had no means to know when I should do something or not do something. So when I had investments that were underperforming, but the environment of where they were underperforming was where I expected them to underperform, then I knew not to do anything. Right. Now, I was a I was a money manager doing, during several insanely disruptive periods of time, including the 2000 um, disintegration of the NASDAQ, et cetera. Right, right, and and I remember my manager would tell me early on, Doug, you're making this too hard. You're thinking too much. Look, you know, you know, you're over planning. Blah 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 blah. Right. You know, if if you spent less time doing that, you'd be able to spend more time selling, getting more clients, et cetera. Except when when the Nasdaq was lo- losing eighty percent of its value, the Dow was losing half of its value. Um, financial advisors were. The, the, the term was hiding underneath their desk, which really meant they were leaving at 1.30 in the afternoon so that they could avoid all their phone calls because everyone was freaking out. Yep. My manager actually came into my office because he thought I was not doing what I was supposed to do, be doing because I, I think I had the Wall Street Journal open and I was casually drinking my cup of coffee and reading the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. He's like, Doug, you've got to be in touch with your clients. You've got to return the calls. I said, I'm like, no, I've already talked to everyone. Well, yeah. well, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. They all understand. And, and by the way, what what we did, mm-hmm. and and what my performance um, philosophy was, is I wanted to capture two thirds of the upside, yeah, for half of the downside, right. And and that's why my clients outperformed markets. I I, I outperformed the market in cycles by never actually by never outperforming the market. I should say occasionally outperforming the market in a good market. So so this same thing comes in in you know, as it applies to RevOps, look, there's a part of me that's excited and interested and intrigued by all this AI and all the news and talk about AI. And, and I would fully expect our, our growth narratives are, are don't miss the boat. You need to jump on before everyone else does or right. A revenue operations mindset is to say, hold on, Mm -hmm. let's slow things down. Because we know anything new is, is, is disruptive. Right. How do we want to do this? If you think about our three zones of execution, execution, you know, the, the, the zone that RevOps owns is, is zone two, right? It's the enablement zone. It's the operational zone. It's the, yep. um, you know, everyone's talking about, well, you see how Microsoft jumped on the band here and Google's announcing this and they're. Well, well, no. Actually, they've been doing. They've been working on that for seven years, right? I have found. Are, are there, are there some companies? Are there some industries where, if you're not first, you're last. Maybe, maybe. Right. But but you know what? If you're in that industry, I don't need to tell you that. Right. Right. And and so. And by the way, I'm not saying that RevOps shouldn't be excited about things. You know, the the problem is that RevOps is running up. I mean, thank God for AI, because if it wasn't for large language models right now, AI would be the um, standard bearer of of being at the, you know, being at, you know, in the lead in the hype cycle. Right. Right. Th- thankfully, because of large language models, it, it it's bypassing the hype around, um, but it, but it's hype. Everyone's talking about what we're going to do. This is, you know, you know, it to to get through this uh to get through this economic cycle RevOps is going to be the difference. And I'm like, "Really? How how do you know?" Right? cuz they also say at the same time RevOps isn't. It. Right. So right, I I think I've said this before. My my favorite thing about everyone that's talking about AI is AI is an absolute total game changer. The world is going to be completely different. Yeah. Here's the three reasons that you need to adopt it and how you'll be different because of it. Okay, wait, hold on a second. If it's going to be, if it's going to change the game, then, then how do you know what impact it will have? Right. right. I saw something today. Someone said, within the next, or sometime soon, no one will buy software that doesn't include AI? Here's the question I wanted to ask him. How much software doesn't include AI today? Because, because by the way, if, you know, if, if you record a call and it automatically transcribes that call, that is AI, right? Right. So, yep. so it's like, we still keep calling everything this, this one thing. And we're so jacked up on the hype cycle. Here's what I want to know. I would love to know this for any, any robots, people listening to this. How many of you have a tech stack smaller than you did when you started? Because one of the things that, that RevOps is supposed to address is, is tech stack book. Right. Right. What, what have you reduced? And, and by the way, if you look at if you look at the theory of good to great, if you look at the theory of re-engineering, if you look at the theory of systems thinking, mm-hmm. it's about identifying that one of the biggest flaws in, in our growth cycles and our growth mindsets is that we spread ourselves too thin too broadly. And as you s- spread yourself out broader and broader, you move closer and closer to the mean. The, the whole theory of good to great is the companies that go from being good to great take from the areas that they're good. Right. So under allocate the good so they can over allocate the great. Too far, far too much. And certainly, uh, at least what's eating up the oxygen is RevOps saying more and more and more and more and more. You need to do yep. this and you need to do this and you need to do this. And, and if we keep going, Hey, that's RevOps is like, we've talked about one of the dangers of RevOps is, is RevOps gone wrong becomes the department of sales prevention, the right. department of growth prevention. Yep. Right. That, that is RevOps gone wrong. The reason that that is RevOps gone wrong is because there is a bent to, to say, no, there's a bent to say, no, let's control it. So, so that's something that you have to manage against. Sure. And, and the thing is, and by the way, here's what you need to do to be a great value investor, to be a great value investor, you have to be able to make decisions when 90% of the world is telling you that you're stupid and 90% of the evidence for, for more than a little while is telling you that you're likely wrong. Like, Great value investors outperform great growth investors, but great growth investors, and, and, and that's on a total return basis, Right. great growth investors are likely outperforming value investors 80% of the time.
2: Okay. Gotcha.
1: Now, now I'll, I'll share with you this and I'll let you. Um, my favorite example of this was in 1999 going into 2000, or actually in 2000, it was the Munder. Munder was the money managers called the Net Net Fund. Yep, The Munder Net Net Fund. And the Munder Net Net Fund was an investment of just internet companies. And like in 1997, it was up, I think like 35%. In 1998, it was up 70 some percent. And in 1999, it was up 150, 180%. It was get rich in the Munder Net Net Fund. In 2000, it was down 70%, which basically brought it back below where it was in in, in 1998. So those three years, or 1997. So in those three years of of amazing performance, right, were completely washed out in 2000. Mm -hmm. More than 90% of the funds came into the Net Net fund after it hit its peak.
2: Mm.
1: Right? So the vast majority of investors... Didn't even enjoy any. of It wasn't like you ran all the way up to come back down. Right. You just got to come back down. And by right. the way, where'd they take the money from? They took the money from all the other stuff. Because by the way, in 1999, the average performance of a company in the S&P 500 that did not make money, they were up 31%. The average performance of a company in the S&P 500 in ni- 1999 that had a profit yeah. was down, I believe, 7 or 8%. Oh, Interesting. Right. So it was all about growth, 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 growth. Right. It was right. I mean that, that's when the what well, were pre revenue. Right. If you remember two thousand Super Bowl, e trade commercial, he's got money coming out of his oh my God. It's like they're they're rushing him into surgery, and the surgeon goes, Oh right. my gosh, he's got money coming out of his wazoo. Yeah. Right? That was so so to be that to be that great investor, you're you you've got to go through that. Now did I have a portfolio of just value stocks or value investors? Mm-hmm. No, I had both. There's right. a balance between growth and value. Yeah. There's a balance between increased force and control friction. Right. RevOps is supposed to be that balance, right? Yep. You, you've got to have that mindset or we're not going to deliver.
2: Yep. Yeah. And a lot of what I'm, I mean, you, you hit on this a little bit with, you know, making sure that you, you focus on what you don't do. I think that the, the thing that gets lost a lot of the time in the frenzy of oh shiny object new thing new thing new thing is the goal is to increase your throughput while decreasing your operational expenses and managing those pieces and 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 being able to get get more out of what what you have and potentially reduce what you have and get more that way
1: yeah and and just just to be really technical if anyone wants to call me all this in the future, I, I would refer to it as reducing your operational costs because yeah. as you grow, your expenses increase, but just right. so we're, um, yeah, there, the, you know, it's, it's all about throughput. Um, so one of the things that RevOps knows is that is the law of diminishing returns. Efficiency mm-hmm. is great until a certain point. Yep. All you got to do is look up the manufacturing industry in the 1980s to understand what that means. The more efficient they got, the more they went bankrupt. And, and, and so you're, you know, the, all things in proper dosage, right, right? The, you can't be a revOps stander, and by the way, take a look at everyone who's going I've seen this a whole lot lately. Ship fast and break things. Yep. right? Um, I want to go fast. I want to go fast. I want to go fast. And by the way, who are all the people that are saying that? All of the people who are saying that are software companies. That yeah. are selling something. Yeah. To the market, right? RevOps is slow down the game to increase velocity. Yep. Right. Great salespeople have finally learned. Sometimes you got to slow the process down to speed up the decision. Yeah. Slow down the process to shorten the cycle. Humans and groups of humans are bad decision makers. (laughs) We make bad decisions. Yeah. We have a bias to make errors of commission, not omission. Yeah. Revop says, Hey, slow down. Not, not stall. Right. Overthinking and overanalyzing will kill you. Yes. But there's, there's, there's a whole area between overthinking something, overanalyzing something, analysis paralysis, and just go do shit. You can always unwind it later. Now, are there decisions where you can unwind it? Yeah, there are, right? And and one of the things that RevOps does is they they identify where are the key places, where are the key inflection points, right? One of the things, and it's a really interesting, um, it's really interesting to know this because to know it and to live it are very different experiences. Do you know, and I, you can comfortably say, no, I don't know, just tell me, Doug. Do you know what the number one reason that, businesses with strong growth potential never realize that growth? No. They don't make enough risky bets. Okay. They don't take enough risk. Okay. Now, that's easy to say you need to take more risk, except when you're the one, I mean, I can say this as, you know, I mean, we're in a situation right now. It's like, yeah, that's great. I get it. Logically, that makes all the sense in the world. But if if it's wrong, so so by the way, what do you do? What's, what's the key to that? You, you, you make sure that what you're doing, you know, will the risk kill you. That kind of is, is where you begin to, to look at that. Right. But, but what you also have to understand, and, and this is what RevOps is supposed to get and, and Jess, it's killing me. Like I, I mean, I can't, my head explodes when I go on LinkedIn. I can't. And, and by the way, if you say this on LinkedIn, you're just a troll and, uh, um, you know, get off my lawn, whatever new adds complexity and disruption that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it right but you've got to control what you're doing and and everyone goes look at facebook look at yeah and first off in a whole lot of ways they're more disciplined than than the news necessarily than than, than the story necessarily yeah says. but but the other thing is you're not facebook <laughs> You're not Apple. You're right. not Nike. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and oh, well, let's take a look. Just watch Social Network and see what- Oh, my God. See how nothing's- so-, so here's my question. How many Mark Zuckerbergs were there who took that path? Right. How many Mark Zuckerbergs? So so this the other thing that we have to keep in mind is there's survivorship bias. Right? Yeah. Just because- Facebook didn't pay attention to anything. And again, I don't really believe that that's true. I think there were aspects that they didn't pay attention to, but you don't build that underlying tech structure and where Zuckerberg is truly a maniacal genius.
2: Yeah, um, right.
1: But but still, it's like, there are places where you should place 1% bets. Absolutely. Because the payoffs are huge. Sure. But, if, but there are also places where you shouldn't. And, and you need to make sure that if I'm going to make a 1% bet, Am I in a position to be able to benefit from it if it pays off, right? So, so there's nothing wrong with that, and what a strong RevOps approach does. But RevOps is the doctor in the game. Yeah, right. There's an old urban legend. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a story of Tiger Woods when he was younger you know, he would oftentimes take off his hat. You'd see him looking in his hat, et cetera. And, and the urban legend was um, he had written in the inside of his hat, the numbers four to seven. And and the explanation was that, that he supposedly explained to somebody that golf is one at an emotional range between four and seven, right? Your goal should be never get higher than seven, never go lower than four. The problem is you get on a hot, like golfers get on a hot streak, they make some amazing shot. They get up, their emotional range gets up to 910. That's not sustainable. Too much adrenaline starts pumping. They make mistakes. Or things start going against them and their emotional level gets one to two. They have no confidence. They can't recover from it. It's the person who can stay in this range. Yeah. Right? That's RevOps. Yep. Yep. Sales is supposed to be getting crazy excited about this new thing and oh my God, we need this popular. Yeah, The market is shifting. We need to do.
2: So so I'm like the slow, the the slow, the game down thing resonates with me because I'm a huge basketball fan. I mean, and that's that's what you do when you are off the rails and you are tripping over each other and you can't keep up with the the offense of the other team and you, you slow the game down to, to be able to get back on pace. Like pace is so important in basketball and, and and it translates to, to rev ops for me. Like, like you're supposed to be controlling the pace. You're supposed to be slowing things down. So it's not necessarily not even not making the decision. It's okay. Let's really slow this down to break it apart. Think about what we're doing and be more purposeful.
1: And, And I would say that like when you, when you're off the rails, see what I did there. Yep. See, I brought us back to the beginning. Full circle. When, when you're off the rails, you've got to slow the game down. Yeah. But when you're off the rails, it's really hard to slow the game down. It is. So you yeah. know what's better than slowing the game down when you're off the rails? Stopping. No. What? Never getting off the rails. Oh, well, Maintaining yeah. the pace of the game. And by the way, slow the game doesn't mean you're not running fast breaks. It doesn't, it, it's slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Right. It's, it's let's keep, and that's what the great players do. That's what the Larry Birds, the Chris Pauls, et cetera, is, yep. is they never let the game get ahead of you. That's the term. They never let it get ahead of you. Yep. Right. I heard a great story. Uh, I'm listening to Stanley McChrystal's book, Risk, and he told the story of uh, the 1998 Hungarian Grand Prix, Formula One race. Yeah, uh, The McLaren car was much faster than the Ferrari, et cetera. But speed is not. The determinant, like how fast the car is, is not necessarily what's going to lead you to win the race. And the I forget the role guy, but he came up with the strategy that um, it was a three pit stop strategy when the norm was two pit stops. Yep. So they took a break that made no sense except for the fact that it meant they could put less gasoline in, in the car, which made the car lighter. Which yep. improves speed per lap. Yep. Listen to this. It also took them out of phase with all the other cars when they were pit stopping, so they had periods where no other cars basically were on the raceway, so they didn't, so they could go ahead. It,
2: they didn't get hung up coming out of the pit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, not not even that. When they're on the when when they're on the race course, there were no other cars, so they oh, could go faster. They didn't gotcha. have to deal with traffic.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. So there were, they, they could, they could, their tire selection was able to like all these things that, that, you know, came about that, that looked at the totality. That is a RevOps mindset. Yeah. That's not a, Hey, let's add a, it's, it's going, okay. How do we play the cards that we have better? Yeah. How do we play the resources that we have better to get to the outcome that we get to? And that's, and that takes a disciplined mind. That takes yep. a healthy dose of skepticism. Yep. Right, and and make no mistake. How would you like to be the guy who recommended a three pit stop strategy because our car is not as fast as the as as our primary competitor? Right. <laughs> right. That's not a stand. Ooh, yeah. Hey, see that? We've got to jump on. It's, right. Um. And and I'm not I'm not seeing that. And I'm and I'm yeah. actually seeing the opposite more and more. And I and I think that when you're you know, to really bring this home if you're a growth executive if you're looking at at what's needed if, if if you don't have that component you're 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 missing something and what's worse if the discipline of your go to market isn't bringing that and is actually bringing the opposite then you are going to be very confident very excited yep as you crash into a wall <laughs> or as ed vanderlin Vanderlin and told me you're going to be very excited as you end up beached on shore, dried out and dead.
2: Yeah. Yep. And that's yep. my rant. Jess. It was quite a rant. <laughs> I have a couple key takeaways. Um, a good, a good, a little bit of skepticism is a good thing in rev maybe even a lot of bit of skepticism, um, just as important and maybe no- more of knowing, uh, when when to do something is when not to do something um and we we talk about this a lot internally, but slow is smooth, smooth is fast,
1: so true yeah and i and I would say that i am told sometimes and it, and it's a fair it, it it's a fair pushback. Don't be so skeptical
2: yeah
1: right if if you're not telling your revOps team from time to time, don't be so skeptical. Then, then you're in trouble. Then RevOps isn't doing its job. Agreed. And with that.
0: Until next time. And that's a wrap on this episode of The RevOps Show. We told y'all we were going off the rails, though there were never any rails to begin with. Something that I wasn't expecting was the story about growth investors being jellyfish. I'm pretty sure that's going to stick with me forever. Anyways, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Leave us a review and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about value mindset and RevOps, email me at hannah at or hit us up on Twitter at Demand Creator. Until next time, remember, you can't solve your upstream problems downstream.